is good to be back home. After traveling on a uh, learning study trip to Scotland and England the past two weeks with 18 other clergy, I am so happy to be back in this worship space with my church family. Um, I was incredibly ambitious last Sunday. We were in London, and I decided to worship at two different uh, church experiences all in the same morning. So I got up early. I headed to Westminster Abbey for their Anglican prayer service. It was a beautiful, amazing space with this... um, you know, the high um, cathedral with the Anglican priest and their British accents and the men's choir with the boys' choir singing Mendelssohn, echoing in the marble and the stone facility. And um, I, I got to tell you this one thing. There's a picture, I think. So whenever the, the Anglican priests go up to either read scripture or preach, they are following a, a dude that's carrying a scepter. Every city we were in, in every Anglican service we went to, that was a practice. I have no idea why, and some days I want to be the scepter holder that just um, leads the parade. But this particular morning, and that's the head priest uh, on the left, when he was walking up to the pulpit, he looked over my way, although I wasn't doing anything, even though you're not supposed to take this picture, I had not pulled my camera out yet. There was a little boy behind me, and the priest went, And everybody in my section, we just sat up a little bit taller in our seat. I have no idea what happened. Couldn't hear, couldn't see anything that was amiss. Um, But this very structured, every word that was spoken or sung was printed in the program. So it was just a little bit too rigid and stiff for me, although it was in a beautiful historical place. So then I hopped on the underground, went across town to the Victoria and Apollo Theater and worshiped with Hillsong um, with a couple of other of my um, clergy friends. We were in a theater that um, shows the show Wicked every night of the week, which is the story of the good and bad, the background story, the good and bad witch from the Wizard of Oz, the witches. So that was a very interesting setting to be worshiping in. And of course, you have amazing contemporary music. We got a couple of songs on the playlist today. Hillsong is known for um, creating, writing some, some excellent contemporary Christian music. But I got to say, all of us that were there agreed that the preaching stunk. It felt like the preacher opened the Bible and went, This is what I'm going to start talking about this morning. So that service was a little bit too loose um, for us, for some of us, for me. So I'm really glad to be back with my Methodist roots where there is a bit of structure, but movement and freedom for the Holy Spirit to move all at the same time. Um, But the trip really was amazing. I'm sure you are going to hear bits and pieces from it over the next uh, weeks and months. One of the things that we looked at was studying uh, what is happening in both the the British Methodist and the Anglican Church in the UK, as well as in America with young people with this, the current church trends. And one of the things we all agreed is what we saw in, uh, in England is just a glimpse of the potential future for us in America if we don't figure out how to um, stop the exodus that is happening from uh, all of leaving all of our church communities. But uh, that's, and that's a great segue into our topic for today. We continue to uh, explore being an ambitious church, 
And today we're focusing on this concept of relationships within the church. So how do our relationships or our relationship with Christ um, affect uh, our relationships with one another? Where's that intersection? And why does it matter? So Brian Wilkerson tells this story about uh, John McCain. Uh, It's from his book, Faith of Our Fathers. And one September day in uh, 1967, McCain was shot down, a young fighter pilot. As his plane was careening to the earth, he hit the eject button. And as he was being ejected, he um, crashed into his plane as it was um, ejecting him. And he broke his left arm, his right arm in three places, and his right knee. And he landed in a shallow pond, water, um, which people proceeded to drag him out of. They were beating him up. A truck soon arrived, hauled him away where he spent the next five years in a prison camp. So he goes on to talk about how um, this was... I mean, you imagine it was as bad as you can imagine with sadistic guards, with um, isolation, with... uh, uh, health issues with um, just uh, torture, everything you can imagine it was. And he said the worst part about it was being in isolation. He said, you know, I mean, John McCain is a man of deep faith. He loves this country. He had a family to go home to. But the thing that he said that kept him alive during those five years was his fellow prisoners of war. There were 80 of them in this same encampment. And their ability to connect with one another ended up being the lifeblood that kept many of them alive. Because they would keep them in separation, and a lot of times it was like being in, uh, um, in isolation, in solitary confinement conditions. But they managed to figure out how to communicate with one another. They would... Uh, leave messages for each other. They would tap out messages on the wall. They would talk to each other through drinking cups that they would put up against the wall. And he said that um, when you are in isolation like that, it is one of the most difficult things that it just crushes your spirit and it weakens your ability to resist. When you don't have someone to relate to, to connect to, to confide in, to rely on, he says it's the worst thing. And the only thing that kept them alive was knowing those other prisoners of war and being known by them. So friends, his testimony tells us a fundamental truth about human beings. We need each other. And we are actually hardwired to be in relationship with one another by a God who said, it is not right for man to be alone. By a God who is himself in relationship with God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. By God who uh, created us to share life together in community and ordained that to be called the church. And so, let's hear what Paul has to say to us this morning about Christ shaping our all-important relationships with one another as we hear some verses from his letter, uh, Colossians 3, 5 through 14. Paul says, So put to death the parts of your life that belong to the earth, 
such as sexual immorality, moral corruption, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. The wrath of God is coming upon a disobedient people because of these things. You used to live this way when you were alive to these things. But now set aside these things, such as anger, rage, malice, slander, and obscene language. Don't lie to each other. Take off the old human nature with its practices and put on the new nature, which is renewed in knowledge by conforming to the image of the one who created it. In this image, there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised, nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free. But Christ is all things and in all people. Therefore, as God's choice, holy and loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Be tolerant with each other. And if someone has a complaint against anyone... Forgive each other. As the Lord forgave you, so also forgive each other. And over all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Friends, this is God's word for all of God's people. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Through this written word and the spoken word, may we know your living word, Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. So one of the professors that gave a lecture um, to us while we were in Durham, England, was Dr. Ruth Perrin. And she has been studying emerging adults and their relationship with the church and why are so many leaving the church and those that stay, why are they staying? And what she said was uh, the key to their ability to stay engaged with their faith is relationships, relationships, relationships. And so, uh, and she's been studying particularly millennials and Generation Z, Z, that's how Brits say Z is Z. I don't know why, Um, but particularly for her, 30 and under. And what she said is those that have managed to hang in with a relationship with the church were able to do so because they had a relationship with someone that was from one of the older generations that was kind of in the background. Um, But those of us that are older than 30, she said, okay, be clear. It's not, they're not asking for uh, us to be an Obi-Wan Kenobi to their Luke Skywalker, right? It's more about sharing life together, not dispensing our great wisdom onto those that are younger than us, but it is just being together and figuring out and, and doing life together. And that's easier said than done. And true confession I think relationships are hard. Give me a problem to solve, a program to lead, a goal to achieve, a team to be on, and I am in hog heaven. But being and living in community is hard work. That's why scripture offers us so many teachings about it. Pretty much all of Paul's letters are addressing in one form or another how to be in Christian community together. And I'm not the only one that finds this difficult. And you know what? God did it again to me this week. I hate it when this happens. 
I began to work on a sermon about relationships and I watch around me and relationships just kept imploding one after another. And I'm like, all right, God, either you have this amazing sense of humor or you felt in this particular moment in time, I needed to literally practice what you were asking me to preach on this week. So this text from Colossians, it starts out a little weird for what we're getting at. It, it, Paul loves lists, and he loves lists of five. So he has a couple of lists of five things. They're in two groups, and he's listing behaviors we need to resist as new Christians living in Christ's new life. So the first list includes sexual immorality and greed as the primary topics. And the second list focuses on anger and hateful speech. So particularly this last list, our list of behaviors and actions that absolutely calls us to hurt one another. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive language. And as we all know, while our baptism into new life with Christ opens the door for us to walk away from these behaviors, we're constantly making choices to resist the negative traps or the enticements that can snag our very best intentions. Paul reminds us that the best key to resisting these sins is to remember we are all made new in Christ. Whoever we are, whatever we have done, wherever we have come from, it's a new playing field. We are beloved children of God who when we lean into that love of Christ, we find strength to turn away from the temptations and the hurtful behaviors of the flesh because we are new creations. So what in the world might that look like? That, all those words sounded awfully good and nice, right? But what might that look like? So Kent Hughes tells the following story about a friend of his wife who was coming off of a missionary um, Uh, was on missionary furlough. It had a really long, hard stint in the mission field. She was so excited to finally have her place, own place for a little while. She had a townhouse and there was this really cool patio and that was going to be the focus of her home, the focal point. And she was doing great until a couple of months later, some new neighbors moved in and the best word to describe them would be coarse. Music playing loud all night long, uh, just a constant flow of obscenities being heard from the house. It was just really, really difficult. And so she, you know, it was a disruption to her peace, and she had a hard time seeing any good in these people. And so she starts to pray to God to ask for help to be more loving. (laughs) And in the process over the the next several weeks, all she got in return from the neighbors was more um, disgust and more rejection. So the final um, piece of this was when she came home one day and discovered that the neighbor's kids had taken orange spray paint and painted all over her beloved patio, the furniture, the walls, the floor. And so she went to pray about this and the only word she could muster was, I can't love them, I hate them. You've been there before. We've all been there before. And in that moment she realized, oh my, I got to deal with the sin within me. And so she and Jesus were having a come to Jesus meeting, literally. And this verse of scripture came to her mind as she was sitting there. And it's from Colossians 3. I just read verse 14, where it says, 
And over all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. <clears throat> so she's going, how do I do that? What does that look like, God? And the only image she could, or the best image she could come up with was putting on a coat. Um, and so she decided to just wrap herself in God's love. And when she began to do that, then she entered into a much deeper sense of Christ's um, presence in her life. And this is how that happened. She sat down and said, okay, how can I really love these exasperating neighbors? What can I do to really love them? And she made a list and then she proceeded to um, complete the things off the list. So she baked cookies for them. She offered to babysit free. She invited the mother over for coffee. She lent to them without expecting anything to ever be returned or paid back. And in the process, the most amazing thing began to happen. She began to know and understand them. She began to see that they were living under a tremendous amount of pressure. And she <clears throat> began to, in fact, love her enemies. <clears throat> in the process, the day came when it was time for them to move. And you know what? She actually wept. She wept for them. And she did so because an odd, unconventional love had captured her heart. You see, she was experiencing and she had shared the love of Jesus. Paul laid out the blueprint for what that woman followed. The second half of our text this morning offers us five virtues and two practices that are required if we are going to have harmony within community. So again, a list of five. Paul names compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. These are virtues we must put on in order to live our lives in the image of Christ. So Jesus, who feeds the 5,000, even though he is exhausted, he does so out of his compassion for the hungry people. Jesus, who chooses Zacchaeus to go home and have dinner with because of his kindness. Jesus, who stood before the soldiers being beaten and cursed, who was innocent and stood there with complete humility. Jesus, who tells us in Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Meekness. And how many times did Jesus model patience with his disciples as they begged to be the first in line, as they bragged about being brave when he knew they would run? And on top of these five virtues, Jesus also adds two practices that just tie it all together. He calls on us to forgive one another and to love one another. This sounds familiar, they, but they may be the hardest things of all for us to execute time and time again. And by, by the way, here is the intersection between our relationship with Jesus and our relationship with one another. One is only as strong as the other. How can we possibly forgive one another for all the times that we are wounded or hurt by each other? We're able to do it because Christ first forgave us and Christ continues to forgive us. 
So because of his love and graciousness in each one of our lives, we're able to look into the eyes of the person who made us so angry or who hurt us or belittled us or whatever it was that they did to wound us. And we see a reflection of ourselves. And then we are able to forgive And it probably won't be the last time that we look into that person's eyes and need to offer forgiveness. And y'all, that's not because we take advantage of one another. It is not because we never learn our lessons. It's because each one of us is a work in progress. That's the other reason we're able to forgive time and time again, like Christ forgives us because we're all moving on to perfection, as John Wesley would say. None of us has arrived, which means we're going to get angry with one another, and we're going to slander or act out of greed or malice or because of evil desire, and we're going to say mean things to one another and anything else that are on any of Paul's lists, because we are imperfect humans trying, trying to put on the virtues of Christ. And when we remember that we are all works in progress, it helps us to look at one another with a little more grace. And who knows, tomorrow it might be me that needs love and forgiveness, or it might be you that needs it. So I don't know why I'm stuck on war stories this week. Um, Maybe it's being in England, Scotland, and history um, abounding. But here's a powerful testimony of what can happen when a community takes on the virtues of Christ seriously in their faith. So the prison camps of World War II were ever much as uh, ever much as difficult as what John McCain survived. But in the book entitled To End All Wars, a Scotsman um, named Ernest Gordon um, tells his story about being in a Japanese encampment. And it was, in fact, um, filled with Scottish soldiers who hated their captors. The camp was just filled with rancor, with anger, with despair, and it was every man for himself, kind of survival mode. And I learned the Scots, by the way, are really good fighters. Those Highlanders were oftentimes put on the front line of the war because they knew how to fight. So one of the day, the, prisoner, uh, the prisoners are taken out. It's a work camp, um, and they were taken out to, to well, they're taken out every day to work. But on one day when it was time to come back in, they did a count of the shovels and they thought that one of the shovels was missing. So the Japanese soldiers lined up the workers and said, all right, who has either lost or misplaced the shovel? Stand forward. No one did. So they raised their guns, aimed at him and said, if, if you don't admit that what you've done, we're going to execute all of you. So at that point in time, one of the soldiers steps forward. A Japanese guard picks up one of the shovels and beats him uh, to death right in front of everybody. When they get back to the camp, they do another count and realize there was never a shovel missing. That this soldier had chosen to do that, to sacrifice himself uh, for the rest of his um, team, work team. Well, a little while later, another incident happened, and a soldier got sick. And usually, you would just let them fend for themselves and live and let live. But one of the soldiers named Scotty decided he was going to care for his friend. 
So he would give him his blanket when he was shivering at night, and he would go without. He would save portions of his bread and his soup and share with his sick friend until he nourished him back to health. And then three days later, Scotty fell over, and he had died because he had literally given himself over for the healing of this other soldier. When, I, when those two things happened, the camp began to change. People begin to care for one another. They begin to share things with one another. They begin to um, um, dial down the anger. They begin to um, show kindness whenever possible, even to their captors. So by the time the allied forces found their way through the jungle to their camp, the captors ended up standing in front of um, the, the people who had held them prisoner to keep the soldiers from shooting them, saying there's going to be no more killing here. And why did that happen? You see, if love can transform a prison camp, surely the love of Christ can transform a church, a house, any relationship that we may have. And all it takes is a person willing to act in the interest of others, to place others above themselves no matter who they are or how it feels or what it costs them. So here's a thought for you. Is there a relationship in your personal family, your church family, your work or your school family that needs some tending? Is there someone that needs your love and forgiveness that you can be Christ to? Is there a relationship in your world that Christ's love needs to transform. So maybe you could make a list of the things that you could do to show love towards them and then, friends, to do them. So John Wesley says, though we cannot think alike, may we not love alike? May we not be of one heart, though we are not of one opinion? Without all doubt, we may. Herein, all the children of God may unite, notwithstanding these smaller differences. So I got to warn you, I found a whole bunch of really great John Wesley quotes at the museum in London, and I'll be doling these out over the next weeks and months, so get ready. Um, But oh my gosh, some of the things he said were amazing, and they speak into our lives today. But when our relationships get stuck and when they make us feel bad or they are taking up way too much energy or generating negative energy in our lives, maybe these words of John Wesley's can be powerful reminders that love trumps our disagreements and love trumps our differences. What happens if we refocus our negative and our hurting energy into loving others and forgiving others? So being centered in Christ gives us confidence to live that new life Christ offers us. This centeredness in Christ, mimicking his virtues and his practices that we talked about, allow us to love and forgive more easily and freely instead of holding grudges or placing blame. And when we build these kind of relationships with one another, we find a life that helps us to weather the storms to combat that loneliness that tries to creep in, and to maybe understand, even if for just a moment, what it actually means to be Christ-like. 
So y'all, let's be an ambitious church that replaces our brokenness and any ill will towards others with love and forgiveness and grace upon grace. Because our relationships with each other, they matter. Christ does not just call us to be good people. Christ calls us to love and forgive others as Christ loves and forgives us. So be it.